today we get to talk about the woman at the well, which is one of my favorite scriptures. I absolutely love the scripture. It's quite a long passage of scripture, so I'm not going to read the whole thing because that would be the whole preach. Um, but I'm going to read a few verses. Let's, let's, let's try to get 15 verses in this morning. They should be up behind me. So John 4, verse 1, Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. That was a problem. He started to upset the Pharisees. Uh, so he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Verse 4 is a critical scripture. He had to go through Samaria. Eventually, he came to uh, the Samaritan village called Sychar, near the, uh, the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Never mind verse 6. Verse 7, soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. Very important scripture. He was alone at the time because the disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan woman, why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if only you knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Verse 11, she says, but sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket uh, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob? Uh, she goes on about Jacob. Never mind that for now. Verse 13, anyone who drinks this water, Jesus says, this water will soon become, they will become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And in verse 15, which is a critical verse for us this morning, she says, please, sir, give me this water then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are revealed in these scriptures to us this morning. Thank you that you're revealing ourselves and our hearts this morning. I pray, Lord God, would you speak to us this morning through your amazing scripture. In your mighty name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. This is an incredible passage of scripture, and there's some more, and I'll, I'll touch on them in a little bit. But there are so many things we can preach about in this passage of Scripture. Jesus goes on about living water, which we've spoken about now. Just now he will reveal himself as a prophet. He, he starts delving into her life. And further on in the Scripture, he reveals himself to her as the Savior and Messiah. One of the first people that he actually tells, he says, I am the Messiah, which is incredible. This woman at the well. But I want to delve into some points this morning because uh, I was told I've got to keep things tight Got to be tight this morning. Uh, I've got to do the militant run as well, which is always fun. Um, my first point this morning, Jesus is in control. But you know what? We say, yeah, but sometimes that can be a little bit of a Christian cliche. Sometimes we can just throw it around. Yeah? Life is hard. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what decision to make. Don't worry, brother, sister. Jesus is in control. But actually, when that thing really gets buried deep inside of us, when we have deep revelation that he really is in control, life changes. So I want to I point you to this. In the first few verses, it says that Jesus was in Judea, and they were baptizing many. Uh, and then it says that the Pharisees found out about this. Jesus said, we're going to stop baptizing, and we're going to head to Galilee. Jesus knew something about timing. And for most husbands in the room, you'll know timing is everything. Yeah, the good thing, a good thing at the wrong time, not a good thing. 
Timing is everything. And Jesus knew something about timing. So he stopped what they were doing, even though it was a good thing. He said, we're going to get out of here. But then it says in verse 4 that he had to go through Samaria. Why did he have to go through Samaria? The reality is at those times, the Jews and the Samaritans did not like each other. The Jews looked down on the Samaritans. Yeah? The Jews considered the Samaritans as half-breeds. They were half-Jewish and half-something else and wanted nothing to do with them. But he's insisting we're going through Samaria. I believe it wasn't a geographical decision. It wasn't that he wanted to cut his trip short. He had a divine appointment with someone in Samaria. So he goes through Samaria. I want to tell you this morning, just like Jesus was in control of these circumstances, he's in control of yours. I want to tell you this morning that he is graciously purposeful. Write that down if you're taking notes. Jesus is graciously purposeful. He purposefully leaves, leaves Judea. He purposefully travels through Samaria. On purpose, he sends us, I reckon he sent the, the disciples, go get food, go get food. That's going to be made by unclean hands, and you'll have to figure that out. But get rid of the disciples. Purposely sits down at a well at midday when no one comes to get water. Purposely engages in conversation with a Samaritan and a woman, no less. The small matter of divine appointment Jesus is in control. I want to tell you this morning, he's in control of your life, whether you think he is or not. Jesus is so busy with so many things in your life, you have no idea. You may think he's dealing with one thing, but actually he's dealing with thousands of things at any given point of time. This is what happens when you serve a sovereign God, a sovereign Savior. He is busy. He is multi-purposeful in your life. I want to tell you this morning, and I want to draw your attention to the fact that in the story, he's graciously purposeful. He engages in a purposeful conversation, even though, as we'll see in a second, it seems like this lady's going to take him on a wild goose chase of a conversation, but he knows exactly what he's doing. I want to tell you this morning, you may think that you've taken some wrong turns and made some wrong decisions. Guess what? He is still there, and he's still graciously purposeful in your life. Yes, there may be consequences to some of your decisions, but if you hand it over to him, he will be graciously purposeful with what you've got. There is a scripture that I hang on to. I've got some foundational scriptures, and this is the one that I love. It's Psalm 27, 14. It says this, Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. If you're in a situation, you're going, I don't know what decision to make. I don't feel like I'm in control. I want to encourage you this morning, wait on the Lord. The scripture doesn't say, hey, be brave and courageous and go charging in. You know, like a bull in a china shop, just go for it. It says, no, it says, wait patiently for the Lord. I want to give you an example. I, I look at my, I recently had to update my CV. And um, when I look at my CV, I can, I can see the first half of my career I didn't know Jesus. The second half of my career, I've known Jesus. The first half is littered with mistakes. Yeah, from one job to the next. I didn't know I wasn't happy here. I wasn't getting paid enough there. I didn't like these people here. I'm like, oh, this is terrible. Off I go. I look at the second half. looks a lot more settled. Even though there were times when I wanted to up and leave. I felt God say, no, wait. Wait. And guess what? I found favor in the waiting. So I want to encourage you this morning, if you feel like, you just, I've got to get up, I've got to go, got, Jesus is in control, wait patiently 
on the Lord. First point this morning. Second one this morning. Jesus breaks down walls. Jesus breaks down walls. The reality is we are expert wall builders. Very good. Maybe you don't know how to build a wall physically, but uh, trust me, in your life, you're very good at putting up walls. And some of the walls around your life, you didn't even put up yourself. When Jesus engages with this lady, there are walls of ethnicity, there are racial walls, wars, walls, there are religious walls. Jesus has to break down these walls because he wants to get to the heart. Yeah? He's after her, uh, her heart. He's after her worship. Yeah? But in order to get there, he's got to break down the walls first. He is God, the Father is pursuing this lady through Jesus. But he's got to get those walls down. I love the fact that in all these accounts, Jesus has dinners with tax collectors and with sinners. And guess what? He goes and has a drink on a well at 12 o'clock in the day with a Samaritan woman. And he begins to engage in conversation. He broke down centuries old taboo. These things were not on. You weren't allowed to do this stuff. Jesus is like, ah, to hell with that nonsense. I want to tell you this morning, and John 1.16 says this, from his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. We all have received. We proud, we angry, we critical, we lustful, we greedy, worldly, lazy, fearful, unrelational people have all received grace upon grace. This morning, he wants to break down walls. He wants to get to your heart this morning, and there are a whole lot of walls, and you know what? You know what those walls are. And he wants to smash those things down so he can get to your heart and give you healing this morning. I want to give you an example of a couple of walls that I had, and, and they, they seem so petty now. But at the time, they were things for me. So I remember my wife had gotten saved, and I saw God doing incredible work in her life. Um, but I kind of, like, well, that's amazing for you. But I've got a couple of problems. Number one, I don't want to be friends with Christian guys. Yeah? I didn't have friends at the time, but I didn't want to be friends with Christian guys. One, well, I thought they were dweebs. <laughs> Secondly, if they really are Christians, they're going to see right through everything. And they're going to know everything about me, and I can't have that. So, no, I'm good, thank you. Then what, God, what does God go and do? He gives me a mate. He gives me a friend who's a Christian guy uh, who's the same height as me. And guess what? Maybe he's a bit taller. He's a regular guy with regular challenges uh, and leads a regular life. So what does God do? He gives me a friend and breaks down the wall. It's like, actually, you can have a friend. And he's a Christian. And he can be your friend. Wow. Wall down. Second wall I had. You're going to think this is ridiculous. Music. I love music, yeah, secular music, for those of you who know, I'm into indie music, half of you are going, what on earth is that, <laughs> never mind, that was a thing for me, I like, I cannot become a Christian because I'd have to give up music, so then I get this friend, guess what, he loves music, normal, regular music, I'm like, so you can, you can do that, he's like, yeah, it's good, it's all fine. And guess what? He then goes and introduces me to incredible Christian music. I then realize for the last couple of years, I've been singing along on the radio 
to a band called 363. I didn't know they were a Christian band. Jamming in the car with my cigarette. God broke down the walls. It's like, okay, so they're the walls that you put up. They're so silly, but you had them. Now I've smashed them down. Now what? Now I'm coming after your heart, my boy. You've put those walls up. He wants to smash them down this morning and get to the real nitty-gritty, as uh, Nacho would say. Third point this morning, Jesus navigates the wild goose chase. What a strange point, but it's a good point. We have a tendency to try to take Jesus on a wild goose chase. I did. Yeah? I was like all over the place. I'm like, Jesus, you are not going to catch me. Watch this, watch this. Yeah? This lady does exactly the same thing. When he starts to engage in conversation with her, she takes him on a wild goose chase. I'm going to give you a couple of examples in a second. But the reality is, she's not a wild goose. Guys, don't call your wife a goose. Some of you do. She's not a wild goose, but she's a destined worshiper. God is after her heart, and Jesus is not confused, and he's not lost. So he goes on this journey with her, but guess what? He's still in control. Let me show you a couple of really cool examples as we go on this journey. After Jesus tells her about this living water, the subject changes like that. So what she says is, she says, please give me this water. Then I will never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. To be fair, Jesus changes the subject in this particular example. But he notices, he picks up on something. Yeah? Those, those simple words, I won't have to come here to get water. Jesus picks up on. And you know what he responds with? He responds with this. Go get your husband. We're talking about living water. She doesn't even understand the whole concept of living water, Jesus. Why are you changing the subject and telling her to get her husband? That doesn't make any sense. But to Jesus, it does. He hears in those words, I do not want to come here. He hears, this is a painful place to come. I don't want to come here every day. I don't want to come here. This is humiliating. The woman at this well, they know my story. They don't know the pain. They don't know the deep hurt, but they know the outcome. They know what I've done, and I do not want to come here. Give me that water so I can avoid this place and these people. Jesus picks up on that. He picks up that this, she, she feels conspicuous. She feels vulnerable by coming here. So by saying, go get your husband, really what he's saying is, hey, why don't you go and get your husband, bring him to the well, and he can protect you. Reality is, Jesus knows the truth of the situation with her husband. We'll get to that in a second. But I want to ask you this morning, because of your past, because of the things you've done, which people and places do you avoid? We've all done it. I know I have. Which people and places do you avoid because of your past actions? See, when Jesus deals with a thing, when he gets into your heart and deals with your heart, you don't care about the people and the places anymore. I'll show you what happens to this lady in a second, because she gets to that place. Secondly, on this wild goose chase, she does something interesting. She tells Jesus a half-truth. So she doesn't lie, but she tells him a half-truth to conceal the real truth. This is what she says. Jesus says, go get your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, you're right. Well done, you haven't lied. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. 
you certainly spoke the truth. I kind of pick up on Jesus kind of being half ironic, half sarcastic there, kind of telling her, you really know how to use the truth to mislead people. And the reality is that secret sin goes hand in hand with devious, subtle manipulation of language. I know I did it for many years. See, you can't lie because eventually liars catch up with you. So what you do is you kind of bend the truth because you can manipulate that. You can use fancy language to manipulate the truth and deceive people. And that's exactly what she's doing in this moment. Instead of saying, hey, this is actually the truth, she says, I don't have a husband. And in the moment, yeah, that's a true statement, but it's not the real truth. I want to ask you this morning, do you use words to conceal the real truth? Do we bend language? Do we tell half-truths because the real truth is too painful? Lastly, on this journey that she's taken Jesus on, she uses a classic tactic. Who's familiar with the made-up word called what-about-tism? It's made up of two and a half words. What about-ism. So uh, what about-ism? Political people use this a lot. So when you tackle them on a particular issue, they go, yes, good point. But what about that? And actually, no, what about your issues? So they never actually answer the question. They deflect by going, oh, but what about this thing? And what about that thing? It's got nothing to do with the topic at hand. So this is what happens here. Jesus tells her about the five husbands and the man she's living with now. This is her response. This is her whataboutism. She says, sir, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place to worship while we Samaritans claim it's here on Mount Gerizim? What on earth has a place of worship got to do with the sin that has just been exposed? It's like, Jesus, as long as we are on a subject of my adultery, where do you think we should worship? <laughs> and it's funny, but we all do it. And we all like, ooh, that's, that, that one cut deep. I'm going to deflect that one, and let's talk about geography right now. But you know what I love about Jesus in this moment? He didn't need to get closure about that sin topic. He'd exposed it, and he went with her. He didn't let her control it. So what he does is he does this. He says, you know what? A time has come, because Jesus is here. He says, where you worship will not matter. It doesn't matter. What matters is who you worship. And he introduces her to the Father. And he says, who and how? He says, you need to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So he let her change the conversation, but not control it. It's like, actually, forget about geography. That's inconsequential. What's important here is the Father who's after your heart and after your worship. And you see how things start to then tie together. Her whataboutism did not work. You may be sitting here this morning and maybe, like this lady, you've been through many sexual partners. You've been through many friends, jobs, churches, hobbies, cars, locations, and you've never been able to settle. The Christian life is not a static one, but there is a difference between the confident movement of faith and the craving movement of frustration. 
There is a difference. God wants to move you in faith, not allow you to just go on a whim. I'm going to go all over the place because I don't know where. I'm not settled in Jesus. This morning, he wants to settle you in him. I'm coming to my last point this morning, which is great. I've kept it tight. Jesus exposes sin. When Jesus asked her to go get her husband, he knew what the situation was. It's Jesus. He knows. But he was intentionally exposing her sin. But you know what I love about that? And I can bear testament to this is when Jesus exposes your sin to you, it's between you and him. You see that moment? There was no one else around. He didn't choose a public place to humiliate her and expose her. No, he took a moment to deal with some stuff, to break down walls, to get to her heart so that she'd have a revelation of him. And he then exposes her sin. He's moving into that inner life. He's moving into that inner place, that inner darkness, that thing that she's held on for so long because that's what the living water is for. He's spoken about the living water, and she's starting to piece this together, that actually the living water is there for that inner secret place, that pain that she's lived with for so long. So he intentionally exposes her inner life. Jesus never, never stays on the surface. He doesn't just scratch around there. He's not a, he's not a surface dweller. Jesus wants in deep. And he will smash those walls down this morning to get to your heart. And I'm telling you this morning, I know it, it's true. It's not just the unsaved that have the walls that need smashing down. Many of us have been Christians for years. We're just really good builders. And we build walls. This morning, he wants to bring them down. He brought up that sin to expose the thirst that she didn't even know she had. This morning, you've got a thirst. He wants to expose that thirst this morning. Why? Because he's got living water. That's going to be, that if you accept, is, will remain in you, a bubbling spring inside of you that never runs dry. Living water for that inner place. You know, at the end of, of this passage of Scripture, you know what she does? It says that she leaves her jar by the well, she runs back to the town, to the people she was avoiding, the people she didn't want to see, the people she didn't want to be in public with. She runs back to them to tell them, hey, there's this guy who knows everything about me. I think he might be the Messiah. I would say in that moment, she'd had revelation of Jesus and living water had begun to heal her already because she didn't care. I don't care. You may know my past. So what? I've got Jesus, and he's healing me. This morning, I want to ask you, you need to heal and deal. That's your catchphrase for this morning. Heal and deal, people. Let the living water in. Let it heal. Let it heal those pain. Heal that past so that you can deal with your sin and move forward. This morning, we're going to heal and deal. I'm going to ask you to stand this morning for our friends who are online. 
Uh, we're going to do communion shortly. But I think back to my own story. And I think back to when God had, had smashed those walls. Those walls were down. I'd entered in. I'd said yes to Jesus. And I remember standing in the bathroom one day. It's like a couple of, I don't know, maybe a month or two after I'd gotten saved. And looking in the mirror. And in a moment, I hadn't thought about my past for those couple of months. I was riding the wave. I hadn't thought about it. And in a moment, I suddenly remembered. But guy, you've had a pornography and lust addiction for the best part of 20 years. What about that thing? I've said yes to Jesus, but what about that thing? And he exposed it. Him and I. And I wept a lot. And I confessed. And I asked for his forgiveness. There was more. I had to confess to my wife, confess to some close friends, and we healed and we dealed. And we moved forward. This morning I'm asking you, I'm imploring you, let Jesus bring those walls down so he can get to that inner place. Let him expose that sin that's between you and him this morning. He wants to heal you so you can move forward.